This is Jessica Jones on Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 5, a.k.a. I Wish. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to this episode of Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 227, where we are discussing everything about Jessica Jones, Episode 5, a.k.a. I Wish. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm your other host, Derek. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Yes, it's good to be back mm-hmm. on the podcast. Yes. yes. One in, one out. Uh, Chris is yeah. not here this week, as we mentioned. Chris and John are going to be alternating a little bit over the next few episodes. You will have me in the background steering it all and uh, helping the guys through the episodes they've missed and the bits we've already talked about so we don't talk about them again. Um, I'll be your guiding light, I suppose, for this season of Jessica Jones. Yes, it will be the revolving door of Defenders TV podcast here. But there's still only three of us, so it's still the same three, at least. We're not, we're not like, bringing in other people that don't know anything about what we do <laughs> no absolutely uh, we are yes waxing lyrical about jessica jones season three. Oh, well certainly i am mm-hmm. uh, i must say i am really enjoying this season so far uh, including episode four where i think uh, that laid some pretty darn good ground rules here for what we get in episode five with gregory salinger with Kith and Peter, uh, the husband and wife pairing, along with the Dark Lord, Jerry Hogarth, uh, for sure. (laughs) Uh, So I think... Uh, yes, this is really good uh, episode for me, episode yeah. five. Yeah, don't forget Superpowered Mindwave, or Eric, as we've been calling him for the last few episodes, Mindwave, another Marvel character that was uh, pulled out by Chris in the last episode. So uh, so we do have another superpowered character in this show, with yeah. a really crappy superpower as he detects a-holes. <laughs> yes but you know i think uh i think we can all get behind uh eric and his sort of fairly familiar use of jessica's apartment uh whether it is the desk the the couch (laughs) or dare i say it, the kitchen counter uh it's not only burgers he's making in uh jessica's apartment yes he is very familiar in this episode isn't he (laughs) just he suddenly seems to just assume this is his own home i know jessica kind of does have does have that line with him where she says make yourself at home but he really is when you're walking around in a towel in a person's apartment that you know the first time you were there she got stabbed the second time you were there she threw you against a wall with her hand (laughs) against your throat and then the third time you're there you're walking around in a towel taking her whiskey as well (laughs) i well i do think it is cuteness on toast these two i think uh, yes whilst luke cage doesn't seem to be around breaking the uh, bedroom furniture uh, in well last season or this season uh, then uh, yes it is good to have uh, jessica's new interest uh Spoiling her apartment, I think. But yes, I think talking of spoiling, uh, we are about to get into our spoiler-filled review of episode 5 of Jessica Jones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we do, please pop on over to our website to subscribe to our podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com. You can go to any drunk or sober podcast player to subscribe, rate us, leave a review, or indeed, if you want to provide any feedback, you can send some voicemail through on our website. Just click on the right-hand side tab. Mm-hmm. 90 seconds of your thoughts will beam into our ear holes, uh, and that will be great, fellow defenders. And if you want to choose a more personalized email approach, then of course you can go to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. With all that out of the way, Derek, what are some of the episode details? 
Well, this episode was written by Jay Holtman. Uh, Jay has been a story editor on 12 episodes of Jessica Jones, but this is his first full credit on the show. Uh, he did work as a story editor on Cloak and Dagger as well for 10 episodes and got a writer's credit on one episode each season of Cloak and Dagger as well. So uh, Cloak and Dagger is probably quite famous now for the fact that it has had a crossover from Luke Cage in each of the two seasons. So interesting that Jay Holtman is a story editor on Jessica Jones and Cloak and Dagger, bridging that little gap between Netflix and uh, and the ABC shows. That's great. I love Cloak and Dagger, uh, and it's great that uh, he has helped provide in some way, whether through um, story editor or a writer's credit, probably helped along uh, to get the Luke Cage kind of crossover into Cloak and Dagger. I'm really hoping for a Luke Cage crossover into Jessica Jones again, actually, Mm. uh, like we had in season one. It'd be nice to see old Luke Cage pop his way down from Harlem into Hell's Kitchen uh, and really uh, help Jessica out, which, to be honest, she probably needs it with this uh, Gregory Salinger. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, it, is, it would be quite cool to get some kind of crossover since this is the final season of, of all of the Marvel Netflix shows to get some kind of ending for all the characters. would be cool in here. Um, but this episode was directed by Marzi Almas. Uh, this is her second episode of Jessica Jones after episode three of season two, which was a.k.a. Soul Survivor. Uh, Marzi also directed episode five of season two of Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon. And she's currently directing an episode of season two of another superpowered show, Impulse, over on YouTube, which is making great strides into into actual TV programming at the moment. Who will win on Soul Survivor? <laughs> Something like that. Yes, I know, Exactly. No, that's great. She's been involved with both Jessica Jones and also with Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. And now back for uh, season three of Jessica Jones. Yeah, great. Well, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode? Sure. Trish Walker and Jessica Jones come to an uneasy agreement to work together to stake out George Salinger's apartment, as Jessica needs an anonymous person to help track him. Meanwhile, with the release of damaging information, Jerry Hogarth miscalculates her attack on Kith's husband, Peter. He blames her for Kith walking out on him and then exposes Hogarth and associates as protectors to superhuman vigilantes before taking his own life. As Jerry lays low in her home and Kith distances herself from Jerry, Malcolm begins to realise his part in the death of Peter Leon. Back at Alias Investigations, with the help of Gillian's insightful mind, Trish and Jessica compare notes and grisly photographs taken from Salinger's apartment during their stakeout, and realise that he has been slowly murdering people over a ten-year period. With the help of a less insightful severed hand borrowed from the morgue and thrown through Salinger's apartment window, they discover he has been storing the severed bodies of his victims in a tanker by the railway tracks. As Jessica and Trish follow him to his body hideout, Salinger flips their trap. It almost costs Jessica her life, but Trish comes to the rescue as she chooses to save her sister instead of following her target. Having escaped capture, Gregory Salinger goes after his next victim, burger maker extraordinaire, and Jessica's new distraction, Eric Gelden. Poor Eric, what a cliffhanger at the end of this episode. Yeah, his body would suggest he would be able to take on... uh, I mean, because we've seen quite a lot of it paraded around Jessica's um, apartment, but Mm -hmm. you would kind of expect he could sort of deal with Gregory. Well, not really. Salinger gets the drop on Eric here. He gets him from behind and sticks his arm around him. It looks like he's done this many, many times. This is probably the way he takes out all of his victims, is to strangle them 
and take them to the floor, basically. Uh, we do see him check his heart to make sure that Eric's still alive, which I thought was a nice touch at the end of the episode. It is telling you Eric is now in the clutches of Salinger. And we know from some of the scenes we'll talk about in this episode, we know that Salinger does all of his work in the victim's apartment. So, unfortunately, Jessica doesn't know where Eric lives because Eric has always spent time going over to her apartment. So, will she know to check for him? You know? Well, that's true. And I think before we get into our top five case notes, mm-hmm. it is also important to note that despite the name Salinger, it is not J.D. Salinger. Mm-hmm. It's far better than that. <laughs> Catcher in the Rye. This is my one moment where I can say it publicly and out loud. I dislike. <laughs> I think it insists upon itself. There you go. Isn't there something about Catcher of the Rye and serial killers, though? Isn't that something about that book was always carried around by some of the serial killers? Presumably. And is that possibly where Salinger gets his name in the comic books, that they called him after J.D. Salinger? Now, it's two L's, not one L, which is J.D. Salinger. That's two true. L's, so I wonder if they got this idea from that. But I he's think... not a big serial killer in the comic books. He is a pretty standard villain in the comics. Yeah, and, and I do think that actually once you've read Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, you probably uh, do want to go out and kill someone for having sort of part of your life taken away from you. Probably J.D. Salinger there, yeah. right? It's like, you know, it's one of those books, a bit like, I don't know, Swallows and Amazons, where it's like supposedly literary greatness, and it's like, okay, that's not for me. Like everything by Charles Bukowski, basically, is what you're saying? Uh, Yeah, kind of. Right. Okay, let's get on to our case notes after that little rant about J.D. Salinger. We have uh, eight more episodes of this show where Salinger will appear, so it's good to get that out of the way early on. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's get on to case note number one. Another stakeout. Not the Richard Dreyfus Emilio Estevez movie. <laughs> this is Trish and Jessica kind of mending their ways a little bit. It's more like Jessica puts the issues that she has with Trish aside because she needs her secret weapon. She needs to have somebody aligned to her that nobody knows about. It's uneasy, isn't it? I think that's what I really like about this stakeout is mm-hmm. that the difference is... Have they really been pushed aside? Because there's a lot of falling out during this stakeout. And it does feel like, um, you know, still the the clash of the Titans happening here. Um, and I, I, I like that. I like the fact that it's not a racing to one another's um, arms and, and sort of making up and, mm-hmm. and it all sort of panning out. And I think even as you move through the whole of this story, you know, even when they do make up, I think it's really neatly done. I think the writing is excellent. So yeah. I love how this is captured around this stakeout where they kind of know that they have to work together because, yes, Jessica needs this anonymity. Mm-hmm. Uh, she needs someone to be able to either follow Salinger or stake out his apartment or bump into him even if if need be that he doesn't know um and she is the perfect sort of cover here so i thought that was really nicely done um and and i like that you know their issues play out during Mm -hmm. this stakeout as well you know whether it's privately you know about this idea that well, you killed my mom. I mean, I do have to think that um, Trish really is on another planet to think that, um, you know, that moral high ground for going beyond the courthouse or the law to just get that retribution on her mom. I mean, it, it smacks of, you know, stockades and taking someone out and lynching them. It, it really does. Okay. Um, Interesting. But... 
And I think, you know, I, I understand Jessica's sort of shock, really, that Trish doesn't kind of get it. So I, I really like that. But I, I do like how it all plays out ultimately. And I'm really happy for having that episode, too, where we see the flashback of Trish's kind of reconciliation of what she's done. Um, you know, this whole concept isn't that she's murdered Jessica's mother. It's that Jessica couldn't take that final step to kill her mother, who had become a mass murderer. This is where we get the title for the episode, the I Wish moment at the end of the episode, where Jessica does actually admit, I wish my mother wasn't a mass murderer, is her line, as Trish says, I, w- I wish I didn't kill your mother. But if you take those two things out of it, if you take the idea that this was someone connected to Jessica, that Jessica couldn't kill, Jessica probably would have killed him because she did in season one. She murdered Kilgrave, who constantly killed people, just like her mother was doing, but she couldn't separate that side of herself. So Trish is the one that had to do it. it I, I wrote it in the notes here as Jessica still annoyed at Trish because she killed her mother. Well, of course she is, because it's her mother. You know, there's oh, there's never going to be exactly. any payback for it. But she has to realize that Trish also had it on her mind that Jessica can't do this. She's too close to it. And I've always been there for her. But I do love how it plays out within this episode. You know, we see Jessica completely treat her like a child the whole way through it. Jessica's willing to work with her because she needs her anonymity, but only when she needs her anonymity. We see it over and over again, this thing of you need to bring some water or kelp juice with you if that's what you drink for the stakeout. And Trish kind of going, I've been on loads of stakeouts, Jessica. We've had a year apart here. You want to at least trust that I know what I'm doing. Well, that's it. I think, you know, how the uneasiness, how that sort of sort of tension between the two also spills out into, I suppose, this kind of uh, this more professional or or working relationship that they've got here on the stakeout Mm -hmm. is really nicely done as well. It kind of, you know, it, it, it. blows over from the previous few episodes where uh, they've bumped into one another during um you know when they were staking out brant for yeah, example yeah. i also think you know with regards to the trish killing her mom i think i'm in the malcolm camp here where it's kind of like you did what okay now that explains why that you two aren't seeing one another mm-hmm. or haven't been friends so i i, I think um I love how this intermingles through this stakeout, both yeah. in a work way and just in that private way as well. Absolutely. But I think the point that Trish is trying to get across to Jessica is she's not denying that she killed Jessica's mother. It's as if Jessica's saying, I can never forgive you for killing my mother. You remember you killed my mother, right? And Trish is going, I've remembered that for a year now, but you've got to agree with me that nobody else was able to kill her. Nobody else had the opportunity. You're the only one that did and you couldn't kill her. So that's where the dynamic between these two is. You know, she certainly shouldn't be proud of it. And she certainly shouldn't have gone to Malcolm going, I deserve the acclaim for killing Jessica's (laughs) mother. That was really stupid. But she's trying to say, I know I killed your mother. It was an awful decision. Somebody had to make it. And the person that loved you most, i.e. me, was the one that had to make that decision for you kind of thing. So it's a really good dynamic between the two of them. But as I say, I love that Jessica is saying, let's work together, but you stay back. You know, she does make that big mistake. You know, we, we hear later on her telling Trish, don't let Salinger out of your sight. When actually, when Jessica's on the moment where she's supposed to be following Salinger and Trish says she's going to break into the, into the apartment, Jessica effectively lets Salinger go because she doesn't trust that that Trish is going to break into the apartment, goes up and checks to make sure that Trish gets in and then goes back to follow Salinger. It just turns out he's gone to buy a newspaper. So he's paused for a second in his walk effectively. But if he hadn't done that, 
he would have been lost by Jessica. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she messes up because she doesn't trust Trish. Yeah, say that quickly five times. <laughs> That's the third edit of Trust Trish. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I actually really enjoy Trish going into the apartment as well. You know, they see him pulling one of his sideboards away from the wall mm-hmm. um, and putting a, a new picture into this binder and and then pushing the, the sideboard back. And I love that when Trish goes in there, her taking these photos, not only of where she gets the, the binder from, yeah. but the the tools in his closet and the, the wardrobe, all these different things she's taking pictures of. And it really reminds me of Jessica. And I, I really like that thoroughness of how she's taking all these pictures exactly. of the entire apartment, as well as then seeing the these victims uh, in black and white, mm-hmm. uh, all seemingly sort of in the final moments of death or that moment just before the cleaver falls kind of thing. Absolutely. And again, it does show the professionalism of Trish. It shows that she's done this multiple times. You know, we haven't seen her for the full year. We just saw the montages that showed her getting up to this point again. But she obviously has gone on stakeout. She obviously knows what she's doing. And I love how it's just pictured in this in this scene as well. Uh, speaking of the victims of Salinger, let's go on to case note number two. Salinger's cleanup is what I'm calling this one. Um because it took me a moment to see what was actually happening. I saw this episode a couple of times uh, before recording the podcast. And the first time, for some reason, I thought he was in his own apartment. But that's not smart. That's not Salinger smart. Of course, he's going to take his victim, kill them in their own apartment, and take care of everything that he needs to take care of in their place. So I love this concept of it right at the start where we see him staring in the in the mirror talking to himself with the red light it's very cool looking scenes real comic book kind of frame uh, scene when you've got the three Definitely, mirrors looking at him yeah. and i'm wondering is he mimicking the final throes of his victim where he's saying you're right i lied i never tried please and he's kind of crying because he looks like he has the photograph of the victim in his hand and he's kind of mimicking the facial expressions that he's just seen as he's murdered his last victim yeah i, I mean for me just like you th- this whole uh, number of different scenes really threw me off course. I think, like you, I, I wasn't really clear that there was a fresh body here. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I think, you know, in one of the previous episodes, we see him having just killed someone. Yeah, and presumably right episode, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's the same, it's the same guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you say, it, it's kind of pulled out of context because the apartment just looks, I suppose, that identikit apartment. Um, for America, and it's kind of like it looks like his apartment right. that Trish and Jessica are staking out. Mm. You know, it, yeah. it's with the wood floors, the that that kind of style. You know, in a, yeah. one of the old brick buildings in, in New York, it, it feels you know familiar. It feels the same, um, but you've got different lighting, different angles. You know, it's like him with the closet putting the victim's own Hoover back. Mm-hmm. That could be in his apartment, yeah, yeah, um, because he's he's using the vacuum uh, plastic bags in order to put his the, the dismembered body parts mm-hmm. into into those so that he can dispose of them. So I really like how they kind of I felt for me at least pull you out of the context of where he's doing this, yeah, and actually what he's doing because you're right that um, that speech that he's giving to himself in the mirror with the red light, I felt was at his home where he develops his photographs yeah. 
kind of yeah practicing a particular oh you know i'm scared and frightened like he did with jessica yeah um when she confronted him the first time yeah and we've seen gotham recently and they had that whole thing with the riddler his character talking to himself in the mirror and it was two different personalities i was wondering if that's the way they were going with salinger's character here that was two different personalities talking to each other in the mirror and but there is also that moment where he sends the text message from the mobile phone going i have to quit due to health problems from an out-of-town friend uh signed simon and we know salinger's name isn't simon i thought this was kind of a cover story until jessica said that he doesn't actually do any work really he's a volunteer gym instructor or a volunteer wrestling instructor at the local gym um and he lives the rest of his life off his brother's money his brother's died in an accident about 10 years beforehand and he's living his life off that when jessica said that i was like oh why is he quitting his job and why is he using a different name well he's actually sending a message to I guess Simon's employer is the person that he's just killed, telling them not to look for Simon because he has to leave town. It's a good little cover up. Um, that it's a good little cover up for the fact that he's just murdered Simon. No, absolutely. Like he he's a very smart, mm-hmm. competent killer here. Yeah. Like if you could get a Bachelor of Science for murder, <laughs> then he would get one. You know, you see, he's got all these different qualifications. Exactly. Um, Presumably pathology may be one of them. Maybe, yeah. Definitely that is the reason why I knew it wasn't his apartment because it was very clear when we got to Trish taking photographs of the apartment and many different diplomas he had all over the wall and many different qualifications he had all over the wall in his apartment. Yet in this place, there was none at all. So completely different place. But it just takes a second and it's interesting in these kind of shows. You know, in most shows, when you have a brand new set and something's happening in the set, you'll be very clear to underline we're going to use this whole area so people know it's a different place so i'm wondering if they're trying to hide the fact that this is a different apartment are they trying to hide his modus operandi are they trying to hide the way that he kills his victims for a reveal in a future episode that we've just worked out now (laughs) because even just the text message from simon that he sends it's only shown on screen for a second and we've never heard the name of his victim being simon at all even though like you know jillian is looking up the list of all of his victims yeah. and the photographs. If we'd heard one called Simon, then you connect the dots and there's a little bit of stuff that we can see as an audience playing out on screen. But they have none of that, really. They just show you him effectively doing his doing his work and doing it well, effectively. Well, I, I think I really like, though, as well, is that you have Salinger doing his thing, being really um, professional about it. Mm-hmm. You've got the stakeout of Trish and Jessica... And you have it sort of all meeting at Alias Investigations with Gillian, yeah. putting together the the notes and, and the evidence that both Trish and Jessica have gotten, although I think primarily Trish, um, and really working it out. And I, I love the fact that, and I do think that, Salinger is completely oblivious to this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I you know, we, we talk about, Trish being necessary for Jessica because she's anonymous to Salinger. Like, you know, he doesn't know who she is. But he could, if he was staking out Jessica's apartment, you know, he seemed to know a lot about her anyway, Mm -hmm. that he would know very quickly that Trish was there. Like, at least even if it was an associate, not that he knows she's following her, but he could, like, put two and two together. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I, I understand the anonymity element, but it's also, I feel that um, Salinger could work that out, actually. Absolutely. Oh, without a doubt. And that's the whole thing. You know, even the fact that 
Jessica lived with Trish as a young woman when she was Patsy. You know, everybody knows that it's public record. It's public knowledge who Jessica is and that she lived with her sister. It's just that anonymity of the fact that nobody knows that Trish Walker is a super now, is a powered person now. So they wouldn't connect that the powered person that's following him is potentially Trish Walker. So, yeah. um, But you're absolutely right. He could be could absolutely be staking out the place. I do love the scene when you have Jessica staking out his place from across the road. And just to underline the fact that she's known by him, he flips off the lights and calls the police to say that there's someone loitering outside his apartment, you know, and gets her carted off once again. You know, I really like that because it's happened now a few times that he knows who she is. He's called already looking for a restraining order. He's repeated it again that someone's outside his apartment. It's Jessica Jones. And at the end of the episode, once again, she's being cornered by the cops for chasing after Salinger. So they're kind of building up this case against her for stalking him effectively. So again, very smart. And I love that moment again at the start of the episode where she says to Trish, this guy is smarter than both of both of us combined. Yeah, yeah, and Trish yeah. goes, Oh, I wouldn't say that. Jessica's kind of looking at her going, Trish, you're not the smartest tool in the shed. Like, you know, but even both of us combined, and she's very arrogant about how intelligent she is, but even both of us combined, I'm saying he's more intelligent than that, you know? But with Gillian on the case, uh, insightful Gillian, um, then I do think, yes, they are smarter than Salinger. And we'll talk a little bit more about Gillian in a moment and, and Salinger and the rest of their investigation as we get to the end of our notes, because it does lead into the final moments of the episode. But let's move over to the other side of the story, into Peter's confession, because this is pretty bad. I don't think what Jerry did could have worked out any worse for her, right? Yeah, I, I, I think for me, this may be just slightly misstepped in, in terms of him taking his own life. Um, like, I can understand him turning up at the apartment mm -hmm. to give out to Jerry. I could understand that he would fight it with all his might. And, and maybe that's just it, is that, okay. you know, we don't know if Peter's had um, confidence issues, but I suspect that that, you know, the camera... That, that Malcolm had uh, sort of hacked into, kind of suggests he probably didn't. Um, I just feel that maybe it was the cherry on top that wasn't required to hammer home the point that, you know, Jerry Hogarth was involved in trying to break up Kith and Peter, mm. uh, that he would take his own life. And certainly around the idea because um, Peter you know, is blaming her for working to get supers off from prison time and, and to defend them against the law, um, even though they've broken the law. It was something I wasn't really too sure why he did that. Mm -hmm. um, and it felt a little on the nose, to be honest, to, to kind of, you know, make that point that Hogarth is more than a devil wearing Prada, um, you know, that she is really immoral in trying to do what she did for really no reason. Mm. Um, I think they're probably, to me, they're, they're just trying to combine a few pretty big headline-grabbing moments, I suppose. So I think Jerry Hogarth really comes across as a bully here. She uses all of her power to dig into his life and pull out the worst thing about him possible, and then doesn't reveal it to Kith, which is the important part here. She doesn't reveal it to Kith directly to say, look what your husband's done. She reveals it to every single one of his contacts in his in his diary. So 
I think Peter mentions it when he comes over that she's poisoned. She is has poisoned his entire life and ruined hers as well and ruined her reputation because she has been spending the last 10 years since her daughter died, or the last five years since her daughter died, promoting this charity and getting all of her wealthy friends and other people in the city of New York to donate to this charity. And he's been stealing the money from the charity. So that probably won't help Kith in the long run either. So I think what it's kind of doing is that really sad news story that we've heard many times where you have bullied children who have taken their own lives or anybody who's been bullied or anybody who's gone through press accusations. We hear it quite recently over here with some of the reality stars who've sadly taken their life after being persecuted by the press. I think it's a lot of that. It does happen very quickly. Yeah, I I think that's it for me. I I just feel that... um you could have got to the same point where Jerry is feeling maybe sheepish about what she's done and Malcolm is, like, cacking it because, well, you know, he's gone too far. I think just the fact of that ending up in court um, would be enough to put Jerry's professional reputation on the line and uh, have consequences for Malcolm. And and I I just felt like it was really just ramping it up but it ramped it up and then went beyond where it needed to go to be honest with this couple okay yeah i mean maybe it's because kith you know leaves jerry we we see that she has that phone call with her Mm -hmm. where she says don't come near me and because that's the absoluteness that happens you know kith has nowhere to go either as he said jerry is complete poison and she has poisoned kith's life as well as his own because now he's killed himself and kith is in mourning for her husband but also you know is like going well what if his accusations are true um and she's got nowhere to go she or she can't be seen with jerry after that youtube video that he's done so I don't know. It it just felt not YouTube chow web, isn't it? Or chow web, yeah, chow. Um, I it yeah. So for me, like I I like the fact that Jerry kind of was called out here by yeah. Peter. I really did. With the release of that social media video, you could see her beginning to squirm. You could see Malcolm. You know the fact that she's having to really keep these separate. Um, you know what she does for the the firm, and then with with what Malcolm is being asked to do. So mm. I like that. I just felt maybe it didn't need to end in the the suicide of Peter. Oh, it, it certainly never needs to end in suicide. I think the the point here that Peter's that's happened to Peter is effectively he's gone, and this is what she's done. I can't get myself out of this. I got myself into my own situation, but here's something that I know you need to know about Hogarth. And people listen to him because it's his, effectively his kind of last will and testament that he's making on this video. He's effectively saying, I did all these things, so it's not going to hurt me to tell you the truth about Jerry Hogarth, you know? And it's really interesting, that conversation that Malcolm has with his girlfriend, Zaya. is the other... Uh, associate in the business coming up. Jerry's already said that she's going to have her name above the door, but the conversation between Malcolm and Zaya is so interesting because before he says he's even involved in anything, she's saying, but it's not your fault. Peter chose his decisions in life and he chose to kill himself. These are all his decisions and you had nothing to do with it because that's the way a defense lawyer or a prosecution lawyer thinks. Well, let's just 
tack this on the guy who's dead. Let's say that you had no involvement in it at all. Without even knowing your side of the story, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know any details at all. You're not at fault. Because that's what she does for Jerry's firm. Yeah, no, I, I, I love how you can see the walls closing in on Jerry and Malcolm. You, mm-hmm. you can see that, you know, they're having to keep separate. Malcolm can't go into the office in case Peter turns up. Mm-hmm. You can see Malcolm's girlfriend, um, obviously a clever girl, um, questioning why he's taking time off. And, mm-hmm. and you, she can see that Jerry is maybe a little bit off as well. And and so I do like everything that happens, absolutely. Um but I think it would have been potentially a little bit nicer seeing Peter uh, stick around, actually, uh, to really make uh, Jerry uh, squirm even further. Yeah, but um, I feel like she would have been able to take him to court and win, which is the problem with Jerry. You know, she is a lawyer that gets herself out of any bind, but it feels like by doing this, he's given her no option to take him to court. Uh, for defamation of character, because she even says that to Maya. She's like, oh, this is just defamation, this idea that I have Jessica Jones on call or super-paired people on call at any time to sort me out. I will just get him on defamation. And Maya's like, no, you need to watch the rest of this video. This guy's dead now, basically. You you have no comeback. And she says the business is already hemorrhaging customers uh, after this has happened. So whatever he's done in his last breath has actually damaged her business beyond repair at the moment. At least that's the way it started here. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I think it went too far, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do. And I think um, it didn't need to be that sort of in your face. I thought it was very on the nose. Um, and I think that same thing could have happened just from the YouTube. And yes, she may have, she may have gone after him. But again, similarly, she can still do that with him dead. Yes, there's an emotional response there, but not for a client. Like, that's the thing. I, I'm kind of there going, it would be better that the truth came out and Peter was there to witness it. But for me, I just didn't think they needed to take it to that level. Um, but I loved what happened and I, and I loved the consequences of his, um, of his uh, accusations. Mm-hmm. I just wish it hadn't ended off with him sort of then bleeding out in a in a bathtub mm-hmm. because I don't think it needed to um, to do that. To be honest, well, fellow defenders, we're obviously not going to agree on this point. So let's move on to case note number four: introduction of another really good character for this show. We haven't, we've not met her before, Eric's sister, Barry or Brianna. This is a fun new character. I yeah, really definitely. like the interactions between Eric and his sister. And I really like that he calls out that she's right. She does constantly go at Eric the whole time they're together. And Eric kind of goes, you know, she doesn't do anything bad to anybody other than herself and me. And really, that's quite deserved, basically. So I like the kind of interplay between the two of them. But... This is the scene that I wasn't particularly happy with in the episode. When following Salinger, Jessica kind of stumbles upon Eric and Salinger approaches him immediately after he gets out of his car. And the way that we're seeing it as the audience, it looks like Eric and Salinger are having quite a friendly conversation. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like he just goes and picks up a prostitute from the side of the street and goes into the hotel next door. And it seemed to completely change Eric's character for me when I watched it the first time. Obviously knowing the second time and knowing later on what what is supposed to have happened um it doesn't change his character he's still the same character as he was in previous episodes but i'm just not too sure whether it was just the positioning of the camera or the way it was filmed twice and he didn't have the same conversation in both in both 
versions of the filming. But it didn't seem like he was having the massively aggressive conversation that Eric explains to Jessica he's having with Salinger. I didn't really understand it either, because is Eric saying that Salinger's been following him for a few few days? Have they had a number of interactions before? Has he threatened to kill his sister before? And that's why he's going down there now to, to get her. It seemed from the conversation he had with Jessica that there was another interaction between these two before this scene that we didn't see. Do you know what I mean? Maybe. I, I think Salinger and Eric could have had conversations before, but I think the thing is, Salinger did not pay the money in the same way that um, the others that Eric had sort of had his little uh, headache with. Mm-hmm. Um, they they didn't operate it in the same way. He left it in Jessica's apartment covered in blood. It wasn't even directed at Eric. And I think here, it, it seems to me that um salinger is saying to eric just by being there uh opposite his sister who's um prostituting herself out is i know that this is your sister um and who knows what will happen now maybe salinger has threatened eric as well and he has said to meet here um for me it i think that moment, uh, and thankfully it passes, is it, it throws a little shade onto Eric, as you say. Yeah. It's, oh my goodness, actually, are these two in cahoots? And then you get to find out that um, you have this fantastic, uh, uncompromising sister of Eric's who really um, doesn't give him uh, much time. Um, she's pretty uh, sharp with him, mm-hmm. uh, but in such a funny way. And I love how that moves on to Malcolm as well, where she's all kind of, you know, as as, as we all do, a little weak at the knees, uh, given that she's <laughs> spending a bit of time uh, with Malcolm. Yeah. Um, I, I love that she doesn't give him an inch at all, uh, does uh, Barry uh, to her brother, Eric. Mm-hmm. And he does seem, what does he say? She's just made some poor life choices. So Malcolm um, says about her. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. you know, there the, the does seem to be a genuine sense of caring from Eric to his sister, but there's no reciprocal uh, caring back, at least not outwardly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she wants to take drugs. She She's been... You know, she's got her pimp. She she's got the wrong priorities happening uh, as far as Eric is concerned. Um, but I like the fact that we do learn that effectively Eric is being threatened here by uh, Salinger, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why he takes his sister out there and then looks to get Malcolm to look after her, yeah. uh, all for naught. Given that she puts herself back into harm's way, or so we think she's doing, because despite the um, generosity of Malcolm to sort of take her in, you know, from the plea of of Jessica, um, she upends his apartment. She's looking for drugs in her palm earring. She doesn't take them, but she's also phoned her pimp who comes to collect her, punches Malcolm. So it it really all is a bit disastrous, really, Mm -hmm. for Brianna. And uh, I do like her, though, and I like her relationship with Eric. It, It does just feel... Just so, um, so at odds with one another that it's really, really good. Yeah, no, really like these two together. I also love Jessica's interactions with her, which are basically just picking her up and throwing her on the bed over and over again, uh, just to show how powered she is, effectively. I thought that was really good. A uh, couple of interesting things that were going on in, in this part of the episode as well. Uh, Jessica p- pays Malcolm with Salinger's blood-soaked money, which I think is quite interesting. She's like, he's kind of going, uh, whose blood is this? She's like, it doesn't matter. 
that's the money and it's a dangerous job so just take it and clean it yourself kind of thing uh, so she found a use for the blood-soaked money but malcolm's gonna take it off her and um, we also have that moment where eric detects the darkness in malcolm effectively i'm guessing that the darkness effect is, is what he's just done because yeah. he's only just learned about it so 30 percent, wasn't it it's yeah it's like a three on like jessica's there kind of again i'll go with my gut rather than your headache yeah i really that's a really good little moment actually but i'm presuming it's nothing different to what we actually know as the audience i don't think there's anything else that malcolm's hiding because he's hiding this from jessica already that he's done these terrible things on behalf of hogarth you know i don't think it's anything worse than that especially with the three out of ten thing you know he's not a mass murderer he's not somebody that's stealing and embezzling money from a major corporation he's probably just feeling really bad for doing this thing to peter effectively and i am wondering is there something more to brianna because overall this appearance in the episode while it's really good fun all it serves to tell us is he has a sister and maybe puts Eric in the room with Malcolm. And that's kind of it. So I'm hoping we're going to see a bit more of her. Maybe maybe Salinger did go after Barry, pick her up, and that's how he found out where Eric lives. And maybe we'll get that as a flashback in the next episode or something like that, because it feels really redundant as a plot point, having her there for an episode, and then she goes into Malcolm's apartment and just disappears. Yeah, the sure. The next day. Yeah. You know? um, I, I think it could be um, a really nice reoccurring character though for sure mm-hmm. yeah so let's hope let's hope that brianna berry comes back exactly exactly uh, one final bit in here this kind of led to the scene with eric as well which i thought was really interesting where jessica wants to just get the get the day washed away and just forget about everything so she sleeps with eric and eric tells her when they wake up in the morning that when he's made a woman happy he gets the opposite effect of this migraine thing so he knows for a fact when he's been great in bed <laughs> there's a superpower that you really should want to get right when you know you've been great in bed you wake up knowing it and jessica actually smiles again when she's oh talking yeah to she's him. got a massive grin on her face really there. cheeky yeah, yeah. kind of grin as well because you don't get that very often with jessica where you know that she's being really playful with him um where, where he's saying you know uh, i spent the whole night proving my masculinity to you and she goes oh really did you and you can tell she's just having a bit of a laugh with him because she had a great night with him yeah you know? absolutely i think with that though on to our fifth case note here a tanker full of body parts mm. yes um with all the stakeout going on, with Eric and Salinger uh, having that conversation out in the open, Brianne, ultimately it ends up with Trish and Jessica following Salinger to the place where he stashes or dumps uh, his body parts from his murders. Absolutely, yeah. And it's all because of the help of Gillian, as we mentioned earlier on, the fact that she's working with Trish, we get that little callback to the idea that Gillian always leaves before 5pm. And this is hours and hours after 5pm, but it's because she likes Trish. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's like, so you don't good. have to pay me to stay with her. I like her. It's really good fun, you know. But they find out the four of the people that have been missing are on the online missing database. It's been over 10 years that this uh, killer has been active, effectively. Um, and then Trish and Jessica have another one of their fights. You know, as we said at the beginning, they haven't really made up. But it's only because of Gillian intervening, where she's kind of saying she's sick of people seeing other people and seeing them throw away friends and family as if there's always loads more around. There aren't more friends and family. Just fix this relationship. Um, And they kind of make a bit better steps towards that. That's where they have their conversation, where effectively Trish is saying to her, you know, I just wish you'd understand this woman was a mass murderer. I know she was your mother. 
she was a mass murderer. Somebody had to take the opportunity. And I wish you'd understand that. And Jessica kind of saying, but she's my mom, you know, I'll never understand it. Um, but they do compare their notes and realize that I kind of like this, this idea that the saw that was in the apartment that Jessica noticed was gone when she was there is now back. That's what he's been using to cut up his victims. And because of Trisha's knowledge of all the products sold on her on her telesales network, effectively, yeah. she realizes that he's got these vacuum bags, which is where he must be storing his uh, his body parts, you know? And she calls in that favor from the morgue once again, from uh, from Merle, isn't it? Over in, the, over in the morgue, who always wants a date with Trish. Yeah, and, and also to wear <laughs> her high, high heels, heels as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I really like this. I mean, the one thing that really kind of is there in my head, though, certainly with how it plays out with the 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 switcheroo, is that does Salinger know all the time? You know, because you, you're, you're taken through this with the kind of feeling that he is not aware of the stakeout. Yeah. He's not aware of Trish. Um, and then, you know, that stolen or that borrowed body part from the morgue is thrown through his window and Mm -hmm. he's there thinking oh is that one that i've left behind and he's he's a thorough guy you know he he feels that he's not put it in the tanker and that's why he goes back to the tanker uh in the railway yard well he hears it flying through the window and land on the floor (laughs) no exactly but my point being is he's a smart clever killer i don't think for one moment he believes that he somehow mislaid one of the hands not at all in fact it's just a much creepier equivalent to eric's note that he's been leaving going i know what you did but not telling them what it is they did it's just a much creepier version of that it's not only do we know what you did we also found these body parts he kind of is wondering whether somebody has come across his stash and has already connected it back to him so he's kind of a little bit worried you see that moment where kind of crazily he starts talking to the hand going, do I know you? Yeah. yeah. Because he's kind of been so personal, I suppose is the way a serial killer would probably say he's been so personal with these bodies. Would he instantly recognize the hand that's in these bags? You know, Um, I I think though, it's the whole moment where he says to um, Trish, you know, when she's following him, she's got 30 seconds Mm -hmm. um, until she's dead. So, it to me, it feels like it's all been staged out by him. Maybe. Um, and, and maybe, you know, his, his trip to that road to watch uh, Brianne, he knew that Eric was going to turn up because maybe Eric does that every day to try and persuade her not to be on the street corners pimping herself out. Mm. Um, maybe that was part of his plan. Maybe he knew about the stakeout. What I mean is, is that... I don't know for sure, yeah. but I think that final moment where he says he knows that Jessica has been trapped. He, it's like he knows he's been watched by uh, two people. He knows that he was being followed, um, and, and he lays this groundwork to effectively then dissolve the body parts in this tanker mm. with the release of the. Uh, I presume it's kind of like a caustic soda powder that will eventually, you know, it, it's letting off the gas as it as it fizzes, but also as as it dissolves uh, the body parts. Mm. And so that's where I just feel, you know, they thought they had one up on him. Yeah. 
and I don't think they did. But I'm not entirely sure of that. It's just that final moment. Yeah, I'm not sure how planned it was as such. Um, I presume that was just a trap that he had, that if anybody climbed in there that didn't know how to switch off the trap effectively, um, that this would happen to them, that the roof would close, because I don't think he was close enough to close it over and get to where he was when Trish caught up with them either. So uh, you're right, I don't know how much it was planned but it feels like he's intelligent enough to kind of anticipate that these are the movements that would happen. That's true. You know, yeah. um, potentially that conversation we were talking about earlier on that, that he might have had with Eric might have driven Eric to go to his sister in that particular afternoon. You know, he says that he keeps his distance from his sister pretty often. Um, she's a good girl. He doesn't really go anywhere near her. But you feel like Salinger may have made a call to him going, I'm going to find your sister now. And Eric was wondering did he know where his sister was and, and he found him there immediately? Do you know what I mean? Uh, that he was waiting because he made a phone call to Eric or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's, there's definitely more to more to know about this character. Um, but we do have this moment where, as you say, after Jessica getting trapped in this container with the bodies, um, Trish actually goes against Jessica's wishes and chooses her over following Salinger. Yeah. And saves her life. Yeah. You know? Given the choice... He has effectively forewarned her that Jessica will die in that tanker. Mm-hmm. And she's got a minute or 30 seconds to, to get her out. Otherwise, she's dead. She's yeah. a goner. Yeah, exactly. I love how then that the police turn up. I like that, you know, they follow that through. They're not trying to keep it off the books, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, I really like that kind of idea. Um, and I, I then really like the fact that, you know, in, in this aftermath, while they're resolving their issues, um, Salinger pays a, a little creepy visit to uh, Eric's apartment, mm-hmm. uh, and, and yeah, does the chokehold, does a you know WWE move? Well, yeah, yeah, thumbs in the eye, knife <laughs> on the neck, something like that, something yeah. like that. Yeah, Strang- yeah exactly. Stranglehold knocks him out, taking him out for next episode. Yeah, that's a great cliffhanger. Really interested to see what happens next episode. I really, as I said, I was hating that scene where we thought actually Eric is a another despicable character in the Jessica Jones universe. Like, he doesn't do anything too bad. He effectively rips off money from people who have really bad secrets. That's his, that's his whole deal. And I was really hoping that they weren't going to do a flip and it turned out that he works with Salinger because I like this character a lot. He's a really yeah, fun character to have around and I didn't want the darkness to creep into him yeah. as well. So hopefully... Hopefully he'll live actually after these uh, after his moments with Salinger. To be honest, um, I presume he'll be alive next episode, and that's where the chase down will happen effectively. But hopefully we'll see Eric again because he's been an interesting character. Yeah, I really hope he survives. Uh, I I must say I really do. I I, I think um, odds are kind of not in his favor mm-hmm. given the ruthlessness that Salinger has. But uh, yeah, I really do hope he survives. Yeah, yeah. That's it for the top five points. Uh, let's get on to a couple of little notes for the episode. Yeah. Um, one of my notes is that Trish here kind of reveals some details about her powers uh, in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's that she didn't get super strength, but she's become more agile and that she can, um, yeah, see in the dark just like a cat. So exactly. that kind of really helps with the whole parkour thing as well, that, mm-hmm. you know, she's gradually building up her strength, but she's got this agility that she can utilize now. And, and the fact that, you know, when she falls, not falls, when she drops out 
of the window that she can take that impact almost a bit like a cat landing on all fours yeah yeah so i like that and i definitely really like this concept that she doesn't have the super strength because that's the thing she's always been a bit jealous of jessica for having is the super strength particularly and she didn't get that so i kind of like that little touch uh, in there and she even refers to it with jessica saying can we not just pick salinger up and hang him off a building until he confesses to us but that's something that Jessica can do. It's not something that Trish is able to do anyway. That's true. So regardless of whether she would do something like that, she can't. It has to be Jessica that does that. Um, the only other thing that, that I just wanted to mention in here, it's nothing particularly additional comic related, but just to mention again, Greg Salinger is a character from the comic books. He's a character called Fool Killer in the comic books. And I like just a little touch of the translation of the character to the uh to the TV show from the comic books. In the comics, the original character that was Fool Killer had a ray gun that he effectively pointed at people and it disintegrated them immediately. It may not be an exact translation. Obviously, having a ray gun and the Jessica Jones show probably wouldn't work. But the idea that he has these bodies that are being disintegrated in this episode is kind of a little nod to the Fool Killer ray gun from the comic books, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, <laughs> great little MCU or, or Marvel Netflixing of the... Of the character. Exactly. Yeah, yeah there you go. Because I'll tell you go. one thing, caustic soda will disintegrate a body. Eventually. It's what yeah. the, it was the mafia's disposal of choice as well. And in fact, when I worked in an Italian restaurant in the UK, they had a tub of caustic soda to put all like the chicken bones and stuff in. Ooh, wow. That's creepy. Yeah, it was really. <laughs> well, let's get on to our defense for this episode. John, do you defend Jessica Jones, season three, episode five, aka I wish... I do defend this episode. I'll give this four severed bagged hands out of five. Um, I really like this episode. Um, I do think my biggest issue with it was the treatment of Peter uh, and that relationship there with uh, Kith and just how the fallout took place. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't think they needed to go um, in that direction. That's just my own personal view on that. But I loved seeing uh, more of Eric here. I loved his relationship with his sister. I just thought it was really comedy gold. I really enjoyed how Gillian stepped up as well. It really felt like, you know, we've had the slow burn with Gillian and I I loved how she kind of embraced Trish and really kind of made that point of, well, she's nice to be around, unlike you. So Mm -hmm. that's why I'm here after five. Uh, And Eric, you know, just adding to the character uh, to the point whereby, you know, he is a cheeky chappy, cheeky chappy. um, And you you kind of feel he's good for for Jessica. So for Salinger to turn up uh, and put him in the chokehold is like, please don't kill him. Absolutely. Please save him. Uh, You know, I I, I hate, well, it's great when they do it. I mean, I hate it, but, you know, they make you kind of... um, root for one of the characters and you just know that then there's a bit of a limited time span left so i hope that's not the case here um because i'm really enjoying eric and jillian Uh, and i as i say i like how everything plays out with jerry malcolm uh with regards to their squirming and and the consequences and and of course we just see the pure um you know kilgrave-esque-ness of salinger okay um He's clever. He's smart. He's, he's one step ahead of the game because of, of how he can manipulate people around him in the same way that Kilgrave did. Kilgrave could do it with just 
speaking to people and, and with his mind. Um, Salinger, it's a little different. It's obviously not in that way, mm-hmm. but he is a master of what he does in the same way that Kilgrave is. And and that's why I think, you know, the the, the switch here where he, he's thought that someone may find his stash of dead body parts. So he's got the booby trap in place. Yeah. Uh, it just so happens it's, you know, Jessica Jones. And I, I like that. He's, he's a smart guy and he is as much, I feel, uh, a threat and uh, a challenge for Jessica as Kilgrave in yeah. some ways. And that, I think, that's what I'm beginning to feel anyway. And I'm hoping that's the case because that was a nice part of Kilgrave from season one. And it's it's not the same, absolutely. Yeah. But it, it's the same standard for sure for me. It's a, he's really good. And we've only had him from one episode right yeah. here as well, which is really interesting. I always thought of Kilgrave as just being really childish in season one, kind of the throw the dummy out of the pram and just tell people what he wants them to do because he's, if he doesn't get his own way, he knows he can make them do what he wants them to do. Never thought of him as smart, just just like give me what I want kind of thing, you know? Uh, well, he's smart with what he's got. Kind of evil. Yeah, <laughs> smart evil with what he's got. Yeah. And he's manipulative, but he does it just because he can say it mm-hmm. uh, but he still has to think about that he that's where he wants to go i think yeah and i think he a salinger in a sense is plotting his way through the the obstacle course uh he's anticipating exactly. and, and so on and it it's just a good antagonist to jessica jones because she's a thinker as well so it's nice to have that equalness here mm. uh, yes he's not as strong as her but the fact that he kind of does the feeble i'm being attacked um you know i'm going to call the police Uh, that way you know he's using something else to stop her superpowers i like that Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely but derek do you defend this episode of jessica jones yeah i really like this episode um I think the second time through, I liked it a lot more because, as I mentioned, the idea that Eric could be a bad guy working with Salinger kind of soured me towards him, like it did with Jessica, I suppose. So I was getting her feelings uh, early on in the episode. So so I was glad that changed by the end of the episode and watching it again. It was much easier, I suppose, to take. But overall, it's been really interesting to get this introduction to Salinger, how intelligent and meticulous he is as a killer when he's uh, cleaning up the apartment after that murder we saw at the end of episode four is really, really interesting. It's so well done. And yes, that possibility that Jessica could have died there if Trish hadn't uh, hadn't left her post of following Salinger, if she'd listened to what Jessica said and she turns and saves her sister again. You know, like we have that moment where Jessica's punching her way into the side of these walls of the container effectively and can't get out. And Jessica's superpowered. You know, we see the massive dent that comes in the wall as Jessica's punching to get out and she still can't get out of it. So while he wasn't particularly preparing a container for a superpowered person, it looks like it could have held a superpowered person, even if he didn't kill them, even if he just captured them and threw them yeah. in there himself. It looks like it could have helped them. So lots of thought from Salinger here. Is that area down by the railway station or down by the railway, is that area the area that we saw back in Daredevil season one when he was still the masked vigilante, I think, on his first mission? I think it's the same location that they used in season one of Daredevil. I think those railway yards are owned by uh, ninjas. Absolutely. <laughs> Not what I meant. Or the Chinese right. mafia. Or the Japanese Akuza. 
Maybe. Not what I meant, but uh, I just thought it was the same location as was oh, in the cop season one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get on to some feedback from episode three. We didn't have any feedback on the last episode. We saved it for this episode uh, because of how we were recording our structure. So thanks so much for everyone that's been sending in their thoughts on each of the episodes as they've been watching them over the last week or so. We'll continue to put up our spoiler posts as we watch the episodes over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. But you can email us about any of the episodes at all or your thoughts on the entire series or all of the Defender shows over on our email address at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Our first piece of feedback comes in from Bob Phillips over on Facebook. Yeah, Bob says, did the doctor really say your body has spleen better days? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. I can honestly say I have never before known a show concentrated on Asplina as a dilemma, character point, and love the sheer irritation shown to a life-threatening condition. Brilliant. Maybe we should refashion the phrase about Chekhov's gun. If you show a character with a spleen in Series 1, you'd better make sure it's done something in Series 3, or there was no point in it being there. (laughs) Given the nature of art in Luke Cage, do we have a subtle backstory of the Hogarth office painting or the sculpture in the Naughty Gallery? Weird one here <laughs> about the sculpture. Yeah, the uh, Victor Cataldo is the artist that they mention on the show. He's an artist that doesn't exist, and the sculpture was purpose built for the for the show as well. So, no particular backstory that I can find just yet uh, on these episodes. There may be something that comes out from the production designers as the episodes go on as to what this statue was. The uh, statue is called Curious Man in Winter. It's the one that was up for sale in the naughty gallery, as you say, Bob. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's it's not it's an odd one. It's unusual for. Netflix to do this type of stuff. They did it with Kingpin back in season one of of Daredevil, the um, the rabbit, rabbit rabbit in a snowstorm. This is Curious Man in Winter. There may be some kind of connection between those two there potentially. Uh, th- I know that Rabbit in a Snowstorm was purpose created for <laughs> Daredevil as well. So. Absolutely. Well, it's just good that it's not the Curious Man with a rabbit in winter because <laughs> you'd you'd see none yeah. of them exactly. Keeping him warm. <laughs> yeah. And also some feedback on episode four. Ray says, I really like the introduction to Greg Salinger, a.k.a. Fool Killer. His overachieving is both impressive and scary, enjoying this episode and series so far. But I am a little disappointed that Hellcat is so watered down as to be just in a scarf and beanie. But of course, her costume wouldn't fly. She doesn't fly either. (laughs) Or does she? (laughs) But Ray says, but maybe more of a nod would have been good. Looking forward to seeing more Salinger, though, and we got that glimpse of him in the balaclava. So funnily enough, that's good enough for me. Yeah, interesting. That seems to reference a comic book quite recently that Salinger was in, where he's wearing this kind of uh, mask over his over his eyes, effectively. So uh, it's a nice one. Um, I know that I mentioned it on a previous episode, but just in case you missed it, um, there is that yellow T-shirt that... Uh, Hellcat's wearing most of the time when she's wearing her black jacket. You're absolutely right. I can't imagine that this bright yellow costume that she had on when she was in the uh, in the costume store would have worked for Trish when she's skulking around the city of New York trying to be a PI lo- alongside Jessica Jones. So I guess it's just one of the sacrifices you need to make on the show, right? Yeah, it's it's weird though that Daredevil is literally the only one with the outfit. Mm. Um, you know, you you could easily have put Iron Fist in an outfit as well. And and I think here, Hellcat, probably, yes, not the one that we saw in the costume shop. Yeah. But, um, again, some kind of variant on that could have been interesting to see because I could just imagine Jessica's eye roll when, you know, Trish turns up, <laughs> kind of 
bedazzled, you know, even if it, with with her her new costume, I could just imagine her sort of sarcastic, curt yeah. response to the nonsense. Um, it would have been really good to see, but certainly, yeah. It's a good introduction to Greg Salinger in episode four, and I really like how he progresses as well in episode five. Yeah, thanks so much for that, Ray. He also says uh, Eric has proven to be quite interesting too now. Are they mutant powers or did he get augmented like Jessica and Luke? He kind of reminds me of Chris Pratt. He has a charisma and a charm, which is just hard to dislike. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about the casting of this actor in the role of Eric. He's a well-known stage actor in New York, and I think he's won a Tony Award last year as well. So uh, he's very well-known and got this role because of, obviously, his proximity as well as being really, really good. But he's so much fun on screen. I'm really, really enjoying him. I'm hoping this isn't the last we see of him as he's uh, been taken out by Greg Salinger. Exactly. Don't kill Eric. Mm -hmm. Don't kill Eric. (laughs) He certainly has charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, for sure. Mike in Cleveland on episode four also says, I'm enjoying this season far more than season two. I'm a fan of the Hogarth Malcolm storylines and mm-hmm. find both characters very interesting. This is the first season I've found Trish interesting. If we're not going to resolve Jessica and Luke's relationship, then I'm all in on seeing some resolution to Jessica and Trish. There's something about Trish making Jessica kind of beg worked for me. I'm glad or hopeful we will not waste any more time with meaningless romantic relationships for Jessica this season. Well, it's it's interesting, actually. Um, I'm really enjoying Hogarth and Malcolm's storyline as well. Um, I, I love how he's kind of her dirty dealer and fixer. I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm totally with you uh, as well with the Jessica and Trish relationship. I'm kind of pleased in this sense that in Eric, uh, Jessica has at least found some relationship that she is happy about because I, I think that uh, Eric is, is um, yeah, he's just a really good character and he's really well drawn by the actor as well as the writing. So I, I'm finding him fit with Jessica really, really nicely mm-hmm. in, in the sense that I don't think he's meaningless. Um, now, he might end up being, yes, but uh, he might end up dead. But I think... Uh, yeah, it's a nice relationship that they have here. And I think it works within the storyline. Yeah. But certainly, yeah, season three so far, I think, uh, absolutely shines above season two. And I actually quite like that there is um, the fallout of season two uh, sort of made its way into season three yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. I think it actually maybe makes season two much more meaningful. Yeah, but they're only taking a few little beats from season two i think our biggest problem with season two was the constant rotation of the same storyline towards the end of the season where we kind of knew where it was going and it went there yeah no exactly <laughs> you know, so that that was the only problem but i totally agree with you mike yeah this this idea that you need to have a big romantic storyline as a central storyline in jessica jones it never feels too true to her character to have this massive romantic storyline i think i mentioned before the fact that we're in our third season and it's the final season of the show well, at least we're not going to have another season with her with somebody else other than Luke Cage, which is, you know, my my positive takeaway for the show, because I always want her to get together with Luke Cage. That's that's what I want, because the two of them worked so well in the comic books. Um, this show took that away in season one because of what she did to Luke's wife. So will that ever get resolved? We don't know. Maybe we'll see it in the future on Disney+. Plus. Thanks so much for all your feedback to us for the show. Keep sending them in. We've got loads more episodes to cover. 
Yeah, as always, thanks so much for the feedback. It's really good to get your thoughts uh, on these episodes of Jessica Jones Season 3. So thanks so much for the time and effort putting uh, your thoughts down onto paper. Much appreciated, guys. So we'll be back with our review of Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 6, a.k.a. Sorry Face, really soon. Uh, So get your feedback in. Mm -hmm. Should that not be a.k.a. Sad Face? I guess we'll find out next episode. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. As always, fellow defenders, it is a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I'm off to the railway yard to dissolve a few body parts. Uh, Once I've done that, I will probably be arrested, cuffed, and incarcerated for life. Well, if you were doing that, I would probably report you, yeah. Yeah, so I'll speak to you by phone through a thick, bulletproof glass uh, separating part thing. Do you know what's hilarious? You're not actually here for the next episode, so I, want, I don't want her to fellow defenders <laughs> to think that you've been arrested. It's just myself and Chris next time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's speak with you again soon, fellow defenders. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Having escaped capture, Gregory Salinger goes after his next victim, burger maker extraordinaire, and Jessica's new distraction, Eric Gelden. Eric Gelden. Eric Geldon. <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> but if he hadn't done that, he would have been lost by Jessica. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so she messes up because she doesn't trust Trish. You're right, I do hate the name Trish. <laughs> So Jessica messes up because she doesn't trust Trish. Yeah, say that quickly five times. <laughs> That's the third edit of Trust <laughs> Trish. <laughs> Definitely that is the reason why I knew it wasn't his apartment, because it was very clear when we got to Trish taking photographs of the apartment, how many different dipl- dipl- diplomats. <laughs> Diplomas. <Yeah>. Diplomats. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I feel that maybe it was the cherry on top that wasn't required to make the point that um Jerry Halley that Jerry Halley, <laughs> Jerry Halley well <laughs> Spice Girls <laughs> <laughs>